Hey, everybody, welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. Thank you so much for being here. There's a lot of podcasts and a lot of weed podcasts in the world. You are here with me, and I appreciate that. Great episode today. We have Zach of Grass Door, which is one of the biggest delivery players, maybe the biggest delivery player in California. But Zach is a little under the radar. This is the first interview he's ever done. Uh, I was it was nice enough. He welcomed me to his house in L.A., beautiful house. We sat outside and we got down to business. We talked turkey about delivery and technology and D to C fascinating episode. Uh, really, I I loved this one. It was uh, one of my favorites in a while. I learned a ton. You're going to learn a ton. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. This episode of IC is brought to you by Bespoke Financial, which is the financial platform in the cannabis industry. Go to them when you are raising money. It is non-dilutive fundraising. Do not give up any of that equity. It's super easy, totally integrated with metrics so you can get money at a click of a button. It is a real novelty in this industry. Go talk to them. You owe it to yourself to explore non-dilutive fundraising. Thanks for sponsoring, guys. All right, let's get into the episode with Zach of Grass Door. Zach, so nice to meet you, man. In your beautiful backyard at your house. Thank you for having me at your house. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming. Yeah, man. This has been a great day already. I'm really excited to dive in. Um, I think Grass Door, you guys are a big player. But like we were talking about a little earlier, like kind of a little under the radar. Like, you agree with that? Like, I don't know how many people listening to this are going to know that much about Grass Door. I'm not sure either. We certainly think about Grassdoor a lot, <laughs> but I think we've made you know somewhat of a, a a deliberate attempt not to call more attention to ourselves than than necessary. Mm -hmm. So I think it's simple to call you a delivery company. How do you describe it? Uh, we are we are a delivery company. We're a last mile logistics company. Um, I'd say where we do a bit more than that is we, we go end to end. So we have the full you know, e-commerce front end functionality, uh, which we're trying to get better at each day. But, you know, there's a lot of companies that do e-commerce better than us. Uh, it's probably the last mile and then purpose built for cannabis that makes us unique. Mm -hmm. Let's just talk about last mile for a second. Um, I don't think it's something that people that get weed delivered understand the sort of complexity of last mile logistics. Did you know anything about that before you started this business? Uh, no, we, we envisioned what would probably be the most efficient way to deliver without knowing what the regulations were. Um, and that was, you know, a fleet of vehicles in the field that have inventory that's reflecting dynamically uh, to populate a menu and never have to you know, stop at a dispensary and, and fill up and, and essentially give the driver what he needs for his shift. Um, so we envisioned that. And then, you know, when the regs, I believe, were revised in July of 18, 
they seem to allow our type of logistics, which would be you know some extra inventory in the vehicles, mm -hmm. and um, it, it seemed possible to actually compliantly do you know what we wanted to do, um, and uh, from there it got more complicated because with scale everything gets challenging, and and of course you're trying to improve every every day, and so the process of making the deliveries uh, more efficient, make the menu you know better in each zone. Um, manage the inventory, keep it fresh. Uh, and then of course, wage an hour. Uh, it's probably trickier than the cannabis compliance rules uh, because there's many, many people that will, will come after you uh, if you're not perfect with wage an hour. So we're talking about managing breaks, clock ins, clock outs, uh, overtime, vehicle reimbursements, um, et cetera. So that combined with cannabis compliance, yes, it's much more complicated than, than I imagined on day one. Yeah. And on day one, you're kind of thinking like, oh, I'll just hire a few drivers. And It was me. I was the driver. Okay. So the, the grass door story is, um, is me as the first driver. We did hire a couple drivers at the same time, but we didn't have enough orders to keep everyone busy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, twice a day, an order would pop on, on the app and I would go and deliver it. I'd be hanging out with a friend, you know, mm -hmm. and, and have to go make a cannabis delivery, <laughs> um, you know, in Long Beach. Um, so that, that was the first phase of this. Yeah. So... You were just nice enough to show me a demo of the product and without going too detailed into it, there's a lot of activity happening yeah. on there. Yeah. Did you think you were going like, to get to that place? I mean, I don't know where you rank in terms of delivery companies in California. You're, you're up there. I don't know if you know. It's not really that important, though. Just did you expect to, no, we to had get very, this big? No, no. We had, we had very modest uh, ambitions at that time. You know, to be honest, I... I thought we should be able to do as many deliveries as a few dispensaries do mm -hmm. combined, you know, as many walk-ins as they have, you know, how could one shop, you know, in, in Woodland Hills possibly get more orders than we could if we had a nice app and it was citywide. Yeah. And so we did think we could, we could do a few dispensaries worth of business. Um, and we're a bit surprised when we entered and there was ease, uh, which seemed to have it together. And that was really it at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, you could go on weed maps, and see a bunch of delivery services, but typically they were online kind of menus. You'd call to place an order. Mm -hmm. uh, it was almost all call in at that time on Weed Maps. And so there wasn't really anything besides Ease. Mm -hmm. And we had something very similar to Ease at that time. In fact, we had the same idea of not touching flour either. We just wanted to be the tech, mm -hmm. just like Ease was. I didn't know about Ease when we started building, uh, but it turned out that it was a similar idea. Um, but the regs changed in July of 18, and they said no profit sharing between a tech company and a flower touching you know, license holder. And so we knew we had to become a retailer. So we had the luxury of essentially realizing that before we invested much time or money uh, and immediately applied for our first license, uh, which we got in the city of commerce. Um, yeah. What year are we talking about? Uh, so we got our license in August of 19. So this has all happened in, in two and a half years. And when you looked at Ease's model, um, what did you think you could do better? Why, why, why would, do we need another one? I remember being very intimidated by Ease at that time. And so- I think everybody was. Yeah, I don't think I had any plans of catching them. Um, it just turned out that by actually having the inventory and running the drivers ourselves, and it was just a much simpler operation than Ease. At that time, Ease, I believe, had 25 hubs. 
And then I learned that each hub had different management teams and different owners, and they were really just contractors of ease. And I started to imagine what it would be like to run that business and that setup and kind of had a feeling that ours was cleaner uh, and easier to execute and, and make sure the menus were perfect in every zone, every day, and deliver every time uh, reliably. Uh, we were a bit over the top in the early days of just the rule that every order gets filled, you know, no matter what. I mean, there were situations where a driver may, maybe didn't notice an order on his screen and drove an hour and a half back to the hub leaving that order you know, abandoned oh, uh, in that zone. And, and we would absolutely, at, at any cost, send somebody back to yep. fill it. So yep. we deliver every order every time. And, and usually full. Um, because the inventory is dynamic and it's reliable, uh, we don't sell things we can't fill. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, except for the rare mistake a driver makes, we, we deliver every order full every time. Um, so that's kind of the traditional delivery business. And yep. you've gotten to a great scale there, and congratulations. Um, but in addition to that, you're powering a lot of brands out there and the D to C space that's coming, I think is super exciting. And one of the major turning points in the cannabis industry, and I'll say it for you. So you don't have to, I think everyone is going to buy stuff on Amazon, but what can't you buy on Amazon weed? <laughs> so why do we need stores, right? Anyway, these are all my opinions. <laughs> <laughs> but tell me a little bit about that side of the business and why? Why have a marketplace and do it for brands? Aside from more money is good. I think it's the decision to focus on being a last mile logistics company and trying to fill the funnel. Right? The more orders we have, the more efficient we, we are for our own retail orders, as well as for the DTC brands we power or the marketplaces that we power. And so scale is good. And there are few delivery services that are even close to being profitable. Mm -hmm. uh, the difference here is we're selling our, our own inventory. And so that helps. There's, there's actual margin. We're not living off delivery fees. Um, and so in general, it's a, it's, it's a business where scale is good. Um, it's probably an, uh, an aggressive or maybe a overly ambitious idea to, to support the brands and really create a second business. We started as a retailer. We, we saw that we had software and operations that, no, that didn't really exist in cannabis and was a huge advantage. And so, you know, is there an opportunity to, to, to let other companies tap into this infrastructure we have and just get more out of it? And, and ultimately we decided that it made sense, you know, it, I think that instead of being one of the of the hundred funnels in Los Angeles, you know now we're fifty of the funnels in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. and it, it just became an interesting concept to us as we thought through it and we started to actually pitch brands the idea of helping them go direct to consumer. Uh, the interest was there immediately. You know we have no salespeople. We've never gone to a trade show. Uh, we've spent zero dollars trying to get brands to find out about this, but just naturally. Uh, any modern brand needs a feedback loop from the end consumer. Uh, they're not really getting it in cannabis and, and they need it. They need it desperately. And so, yeah, it's the most loyal customers a brand has that might seek them out and place an order, you know, for just that brand, you know, a $300 order for Kiva edibles or, or wherever it might be. Um, you know, when those customers go to dispensaries, they don't see the entire selection of that brand. Uh, and it's often frustrating to go to a dispensary and, and they don't have what you're looking for. 
And so if you really love a particular brand, you love a particular flavor, uh, the only reliable way to get it is to go to a brand's website and, and hope they, they sell it. And, and, and Grassdoor is enabling that. Most brands are now doing this. Uh, and it just allows them to be better brands. Um, I think it helps the entire channel, the entire ecosystem for them to understand the consumer better, uh, have some uh, portion of their business that's higher margin because certainly selling direct to consumer has additional margin. Uh, I think it's just healthy for the ecosystem and uh, it, it does seem to be a legitimate or alternative way for customers to to find and buy products. Absolutely. I mean, especially in the time of COVID, like not just in cannabis, D2C has taken over most industries, most businesses, I would say. In cannabis, though, there have been several companies that have done D2C, and there are a handful of others that are trying to do it today. Why do you think you guys have been successful doing it? Um, I mean, first of all, it's it's... it's purely comes down to, you know, it's, it's last mile delivery. It's not, you know, a cannabis company, you know, isn't the one that makes sense to take this on. Uh, a retail business is not, it's, it's a last mile technology company that, mm -hmm. that could possibly uh, decide to offer this service. And there isn't many flower touching technology companies. As far as I know, Grassdoor might be the only one. Um, you know, we have a team of 80 engineers now. Uh, That's a big number. Yeah, we have quite a few engineers and, you know, our goals, uh, many more than that. You know, our, our algorithm alone is, you know, a half dozen engineers full time just mm -hmm. focused on the algorithm. So it's it's the skill set of a technology company that can help do this. And there just there was an there was a void of last mile technology companies willing to help brands and cannabis go direct to consumer. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, very good timing for us that we had essentially the tool set that that they need right now. Mm hmm. If you look forward, what will the split between them be? Uh, I think this is the last year that grassdoor.com will be bigger than our D2C business mm -hmm. uh, from a top line revenue perspective. There's still more margin on Grassdoor, but I just don't believe that we're good enough at marketing to outpace a hundred entrepreneurs or brands that are trying to do cannabis retail. Mm -hmm. They're going to have the same feature set that Grassdoor has. One of our commitments to brands that we do this for is to give them every feature we have, whether that's our robust loyalty program, subscription, ambassador, referral, user journeys, all the things we've built, uh, we make available to the brands, oftentimes before Grassdoor even uses the feature, mm -hmm. because we, you know, we're a little slower now in, in rolling out features, but you know, they're waiting for these features to roll out. They use them right away. We launched gift cards uh, very recently. Brands were using that even before we did. And um, it's, yeah, it's just, uh, it's a unique opportunity for brands to, to leverage, you know, something we invested a lot of, of time and money into. And I think that they will outpace us. I think a hundred savvy e-commerce Absolutely, and they're all raising uh, financing separately and everything. I mean, you're, you're essentially making it a marketing business for them, right? And does that change the profile of the successful founder as a brand? You know, do they need to shift now? What once was maybe this jack of all trades, like you gotta do this, you gotta deliver distribution, whatever. Like now that skill set has been sort of honed, yeah? Yeah, I think that, you know, this industry has had a few phases. Uh, you know, a recent phase was you had to be vertical to, to be taken seriously. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and now, you know, being fully vertical is a huge burden because markets change and prices change and, uh, consumption patterns change. So I 
believe a lot that non-flower touching brands that are really good at, at marketing and direct to consumer uh, can survive and can succeed. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's going to be about who's really good at marketing and branding and connecting to the consumer, not who's the best at filling oil cartridges. Right. I also hope it means that there's more innovation that happens, because if a brand is allowed to just focus on R&D and stuff like that, you hope that it evolves more than if they're trying to do everything. I don't know. As a consumer, like... Does that make you excited? I, I think, I think innovate, yeah, I've never really thought about it from the innovation perspective. Certainly people are looking for new product categories. You know, I feel like the infused pre-roll was probably the most recent development. What a hit though. What a hit, you know. I mean, that's the blockbuster of- That's uh, the blockbuster of 21. Yeah, I don't know exactly. what 22 will be. Um, so, I, you know, I think that the brands will just get better. They'll get more consistent. I think that, you know, the most common issue people have with cannabis is it's impossible to duplicate the same experience, right? Mm -hmm. To have the same experience twice and every batch is different and it's, there's so much variability. And that's probably where the innovation comes and just more consistent, you know, strains, strains and supply chains. So I think it'll, I think it'll get more predictable. What do you think of beverages? I was not a believer in beverages just a few years ago and now I am the biggest believer. Really? Um, absolutely. Uh, you know, we, we're certainly very involved in, in cans business. Um, you know, we are, we are Cannes D2C partner mm -hmm. and uh, they're crushing it. Yeah. You know, they, they understand that, you know, each campaign, each day, each product is just going to get better than the day before. Yeah. Uh, and they're getting, they're so creative and, yeah. and, and they sure they're, are. they're yeah. masters at, at, at creating a buzz and at doing and, it. What we were just talking about. Yeah. That's the, their yeah. thing. They don't, they're not, you know, I, I think they actually have technology in their, in their, uh, in their beverages as well. Uh, but yeah, they seem very focused on uh, connecting to the consumer and giving them what they want. And, you know, I, I do think there's gonna be a big migration from alcohol. Um, I think we're watching it right now. And grass door stands to benefit a lot from drinks because dispensaries aren't set up for them. Yeah. You know, you can walk into a dispensary and see a fridge, you know, and there's just not gonna be much options there or much. Uh, and how about the logistics of it? I mean. It's heavy. Yeah, it's a different business. It's water, right? Yeah. I kind of wish it wasn't successful because I wouldn't have to solve or think about uh, <laughs> putting drinks into the trunk of a, you know, of a Honda Civic, um, which, you know, our fleet are typically yeah. you know, driver-owned cars. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we, we said yes uh, to, the, to the test and, you know, it, it did well. And so now we have to solve this problem and uh -huh. ultimately we'll have a fleet of, you know, vans most mm -hmm. likely for the drinks orders. Uh, so yeah, we're hoping that our, the size of our fleet, the physical capacity of each vehicle scales as fast as drinks are going to scale so mm -hmm. that we can continue to be a, a distributor of drinks. Do you think that some brands are better off in the marketplace where they can be discovered among other products? Or is that something that everyone could potentially do. Cause you know, everybody and their mother wants to do D to C right now. Right. Uh -huh. And it's probably not going to work for all of them. Do you think that that's designed for a certain, you know, you do you have to have a big marketing budget? What like, it's a great question. I, unfortunately, you know, like most businesses, they won't all be successful. Mm -hmm. Um, the best marketers, you know, will be, um, there's, all sorts of uh, opportunities to get your brand out there. Um, 
they do tend to cost money. Uh, you know, we certainly had a lower cost per acquisition in the early days when we didn't have money to spend. Mm -hmm. You know, you get a little scrappier. Mm -hmm. um, and so you do, of course, need that scrappiness, you know, perspective, that scrappy perspective. Um, but there are really cool collaboration opportunities for these brands. And I think Grassdoor is actually uh, helping facilitate it. So when you have a D2C site on Grassdoor, you can sell any product in our warehouse. So Kiva is collabing with Can. You know, Kiva is selling Jetty mm -hmm. on their D2C site. So we're actually, you know, trying to get the brands to approach this as not just, you know, a D2C site like Nike.com, but a retail channel that they control and own. You know, adding Raw Garden to your store is going to increase your average cart, your retention, your conversion. Totally. You'd be kind of silly not to add Kiva or Raw Garden, as long as it's not a direct, you know, you know, cannibalization of your of your main SKU. But we are encouraging them to work with each other uh, and collaborate and, you know, get exposure to, you know, most of these brands now have an audience and it, it, you know, of course it's growing every month, but you know, the first time can gets on Kiva's site, it might be the first time a lot of those Kiva customers are seeing can and mm -hmm. vice versa. Yep. So I think that, you know, we're going to keep encouraging these brands to collaborate and it's free. It's what, you know, I call a shelf space swap. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that when you're sorting your menu, uh, and you're thinking about, you know, the margin you're going to get from each SKU and you're thinking about adding third party brands and what's the margin on these third party brands. You know, if that third party brand is willing to sell you on their store, that's another, you know, value that you get from that, that slot on the menu. And so I'm, I'm envisioning a lot of shelf space swaps, both at brick and mortar retail, but an infinite amount of shelf space virtually on these DTC stores. And so... Uh, there is absolutely hope for brands that maybe aren't as successful with uh, brick and mortar retail to just, you know, make this work. It just takes time, right? It, you, you don't build a, a D2C business, you know, in a few months. It's an accumulation of customers every month and then hanging on to as many as you can. Um, so they just have to have runway to survive and, and, and make it. And they might need some distribution with brick and mortar to help hit MOQs, minimum order quantities. Uh, but I always encourage them, you know, figure out how to, to keep your MOQs as low as you can, because this is going to be a, a long game. All of this is not cheap. 80 engineers is a big number, and you're growing really fast. That takes money. Um, tell us about your sort of fundraising journey to date. I know you're, you're closing around currently, but um, yeah, tell us a little bit about that journey. If you... We were very scrappy, mm -hmm. like I said, in the first couple years of this. Uh, so we, we didn't spend much. Um, my previous business uh, was a software development agency. So we had an office building complicated mobile apps and business tools uh, out of Goa. So we, that's our HQ. We actually have zero US engineers. Okay. Um, one of my partners was out here on an H-1B visa uh, from, from, from India. Uh, he recently went back. His name is Abhishek. Um, and it was really Abhishek and Abik, two brothers, uh, that have been running this software development office uh, for us, you know, for nearly 10 years. And um, yeah, that's, that's the, the engineering, uh, you know, epicenter and, and certainly uh, has kept costs down. I mean, certainly it's not you know, the same expense of, of having a U.S. team. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that, it's, it is a variable cost business, right? We didn't have a big CapEx to build the huge yep. cultivation for $20 million. Um, you know, the marketing somewhat, you know, happened organically and, you know, we reinvested into the business in those first couple of years. Uh, but it was not much CapEx. It was just kind of a slow month by month software development build that, you know, a pure kind of India cost. Um, 
And yeah, we've got quite far without spending a ton of money. Now, as we open up, you know, many hubs a year, uh, each of which needs a build out and to be filled up with inventory. And certainly drivers are very inefficient, mm -hmm. you know, when you first launch a hub and the warehouse people are very inefficient because there's just not very many orders on day one. Um, you know, that's kind of where the cost goes. It's in the startup phase of new hubs. And then if we really see, you know, a big return on investment, a big lifetime value, uh, you know, on these customers, you just start to spend more on marketing, you know, to a point where you might not get the money back for three or four orders. And so that's certainly an investment. Um, but the real investment will come when we try to expand nationwide. Mm -hmm. You know, we look at California as being reachable from six or seven hubs. So that's something we do differently from a lot of the other uh, large retailers. There's not many. It's not many. Yeah. Our drivers, you know, go 100 miles in every direction. Uh, they stay in the zone for the entire shift. Mm -hmm. Everything's automated. Mm -hmm. Their brakes, you know, inventory, et cetera. And then they drive back to the hub and, you know, hopefully after completing, you know, 15 to 16 deliveries. Um, and it's a good gig. We were talking oh, about it's a great, it's all yeah, it's W2 a, it's, yeah. benefits, yeah, it's, everything. It's a much better gig. I, yeah. It's a much better gig than, than Uber yeah. I mean, or certainly working for another cannabis delivery service yeah. that doesn't have their act as together. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's an efficient model in terms of number of hubs. And so, yeah, California is, is not going to take much more uh, investment for us um, to build out the state. Just a few more hubs this year. The rest of the country it will be quite, quite the investment and okay. expenditure. You know, our mission now is to not be perceived as a sophisticated dispensary, but as a tech company. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have a lot of technology uh, and it's growing fast. So we're trying to be perceived and, you know, receive the valuation, you know, of, of, a, of a similar tech company from you know, non-cannabis. And how does one achieve that? By demonstrating that we're not a dispensary. And I think that, you know, over the course of one year, going from having, you know, one retail site to 60, you know, and, and soon 100, powering marketplaces, very, very, you know, elaborate loyalty programs. Um, you know, our loyalty program alone, I think, proves that we're a, a tech company. You know, our loyalty program ensures customers get faster delivery. Uh, they get a 1.5x cashback rebate. There's a product category only available for, for our, our friends and family members. And a feature that's about to launch, which is really cool, we are now repricing every flower as it ages. So every night we look at the age of every everything in our inventory That's and cool. we're repricing the flower. And so how frustrating would it be if, you know, the flower you bought yesterday was repriced today. So we're giving people automatic credits for whatever the price reduction was, you know, for all of our friends and family members. That's not live today, but that's, you know, that's, cool. that's the next thing that's coming out. And I think features like that, you know, we do our own customer authentication. So when we're looking at the selfie and the ID, we're now using AI to com to compare the selfie with the ID. And we have, believe it or not, 6,000 blocked customers wow. that either committed fraud, referral program abuse, fake IDs, abusive. And so 6,000 6, of those. And so we're now comparing, I don't, I'm not sure why I gave away our secret on this podcast, but hopefully they're not listening. Nobody the, listens. The blocked, <laughs> the blocked uh, customer selfies to new selfies that are being uploaded because okay. they'll simply get a new phone number and they'll try to come back. And so for the first time, we're going to have another great tool to block that. And it's essentially, you know, uh, an alternative to a third party software that exists for, you know, customer verification and authentication. Uh, but they, they charge, you know, a dollar, you mm -hmm. know, per, per user they authenticate. Whereas when we do things like that ourselves, it costs us just a couple of pennies. And then we it's more integrated and more streamlined. Uh, similar opportunities with payment solutions, mm -hmm. uh, ACH solutions to just 
do it ourselves and essentially build a bunch of micro businesses that not only Grassdoor gets to take advantage of, but again, these soon to be 100 e-commerce sites that are using all of Grassdoor's modules. And unlike a lot of our competitors that offer e-commerce modules, we offer e-commerce modules that go all the way to the, to the last mile, right. to the delivery, all the loyalty, retention, uh, yeah, and payment solutions. And you were saying how they're not necessarily brands. These could be other delivery companies in quotation marks. Um, yeah, that, maybe that's something that's coming soon. But you know, currently we offer delivery services uh, and this D2C solution from, from the front end uh, to the last mile for brands. Mm -hmm. um, other kind of e-commerce players thought about it and said, well, can, you know, we're not a brand, but can, can we use this too? So for example, Vana, who, who was aggressively pursuing the end consumer and offering a D2C solution of their own to brands said, well, what if we partner with Grassdoor and allow customers to click all the way through to the point of delivery, whereas mm -hmm. previously Vana was sending traffic to companies like you know, Ease or Grassdoor. And so now Vana is a full-blown shoppable marketplace powered by Grassdoor. So they're, they do have some brands of their own, but you know, they're, not a, they're, they're focused on Vana as a marketplace. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a slew of those, I think, that are coming now that realized that Really, anybody anywhere in the world can now enter the California cannabis delivery space powered by Grassdoor. It's, it's essentially, it's Grassdoor's inventory, Grassdoor's drivers, Grassdoor's tech, uh, and essentially they're you know, top of the funnel partners uh, with some data sharing, right? So they, they, they own the data, uh, which means they can move on from Grassdoor and go to a different partner later. Which is a really important point, right? Really important that some of your competitors do not offer the ability to take your customers with you, basically. We are that's, not, yeah, that's that's part of our pitch. Um, we're very confident in our solutions, so there is uh, typically no commitment. You know, at any point, um, you can take the customers you you earned, you know, through your relationship with Grassdoor with you. Grassdoor does not get any of that data. Um, it's it's the brand partner's data. They paid for that, that acquisition. So if you get really good at servicing that customer, and it's not about being a cannabis company at that point, it's about, understanding the customer and, and what, what they like about your service and what you can improve, the loyalty programs, um, just the way products are curated and, and bundled together. It, it's, that's not cannabis expertise, right? That's retail expertise. Mm -hmm. And so retailers now, and like I said, e-commerce people can come into this, not worry about you know, cannabis compliance, not worry about uh, you know, last mile and managing inventory. Grassdoor is gonna do it all and, um, and allow you to focus on on the customer and, uh, and marketing. Much do you think about competitors, not, not weed competitors, but like, when's Amazon gonna do this? Uber's, you know, talked about it a bit. Is that something that keeps you up at night or not really? I only think about it all day, every day. <laughs> um, you know, each one of those examples is a different, you know, a different business model. Mm -hmm. You know, Amazon is a retailer. Mm -hmm. uh, the cannabis compliance and cannabis regs in, in California um, force you to be a license holder, to own the inventory. Mm -hmm. you, you can't send a, a courier to go do a cannabis delivery. Uh, there needs to be a retail license on every transaction. Uh, and so the Ubers of the world, you know, haven't demonstrated that they want to hold inventory, right? I mean, this isn't the first category they would do. They would do food, they would do, yep. you know, alcohol. And so Uber so far, you know, if they enter, would be a great place for us to get customers. You know, if you go on Uber right now, you'll see liquor stores near you, pet stores near you. Uh, and 
likely it would be dispensaries near you and mm -hmm. we would be one of those those dispensaries or delivery services and Got so it. to me it's an alternative to you know a weed maps you know uh, perhaps a, a dutchie uh, or an iheart jane marketplace mm -hmm. um and so that you know we're actually excited about uber coming mm -hmm. um DoorDash might might be a little more aggressive. I, I hear DoorDash is pursuing cloud kitchens and not just delivering food, but yep. but making food. And I could see them being a bit more aggressive in this category. But Amazon's a retailer, and and they're set up for, uh, you know, being a compliant place. You know, if they want to do this, you know, yep. like I said, they could probably do it in six or seven hubs, mm -hmm. uh, and and be you know a worthy competitor mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. Um, so Amazon certainly weren't, you know, one that I would be more kept up at night about. Um, but you know, I thought that it'd be legal by now and many more competitors would be here already. So I feel we're on borrowed time already and yeah. fortunate that we got a head start here yeah. with the way the regs have, have gone. Uh, and then there's other companies out there that, you know, some listeners might not know, but GoPuff who made a big splash mm -hmm. during Super Bowl, uh, is very similar to Grassdoor, um, but you know, not in cannabis yet, you know, focused on convenience store type items mm -hmm. and liquor store type items. Little rumors about, you know, their interests have, have come and gone and, and I'm sure will return. So it's retailers that, you know, we're a retail business in terms of They're more East Coast focused, are they not? I think they're from the East Coast. Yeah, so. they're here now though. But so, you know, but they're fully, you know, soft banked backed companies. Yeah, so, I see. Uh, you know, Grassdoor has two businesses. We've got a retail company that, you know, we look at the retailers that might join in and jump into the space. And then we have Last Mile, uh, which is a much higher barrier of entry mm -hmm. and very few companies are interested in specializing in cannabis last mile to the end consumer. That was a really great explanation. I appreciate that. No problem. Um, because you're a retailer, you have the duty of selecting what cannabis goes on the marketplace, which I don't think most people realize, but me, I think about what, a great honor it is to allow someone else to select the brands or the products you choose from. Um, how does that process happen? And you mean how cool is the buying position? Yeah, oh, it's the best position. It's in the, the best world. position, right? If you yeah. It, and yeah, and you can talk to our buyers. They they know it is. Uh, I was doing all of the buying until six months ago, uh -huh. and so every brand that wanted to get on grass store you know, had, had to email me and, and set up a meeting and I loved it and didn't want to give it up. Uh, the samples were, you know, the best part. Yeah. Um, and so I, I've slowly let go. Um, <laughs> and, and it's a fantastic role. Unfortunately, you know, we had a, a situation where a very smart guy came into our business. I'll give him a shout out, Michael Bostar. And he said, Zach, you don't need a buyer. You need someone to say no. <clears throat> because you know it was we had a lot of inventory yeah. it was it was aging and um and really we just needed to kind of work through what we had and mm -hmm. um and yeah probably start saying no a bit more often uh you know grass store always had this very short asap menu which just has a few brands and <clears throat> it, it didn't allow us to support you know as many brands as we'd like to you know we do this direct to consumer thing for so many brands we'd like to certainly offer their products uh, and it was not until we had the scheduled delivery menu that allowed us to have a much bigger menu with all the top brands. And, and really it's, we'll take anything, right? And, and as long as there's margin there and, and then it's which ones perform. And so it, we don't have to say no, you know, anymore. And, um, 
and we can see, we can test anything. And so it's a great testing ground when we see products perform really well. We can start thinking about moving those products onto the ASAP menu. Um, but in general, it's a cool setup where we've got, you know, essentially every strain and every brand that people are looking for. Uh, and if you want it right now, 45 minutes or less, um, you know, it's, a, it's a, a more narrow menu. Very cool job. It is a cool Especially job. when you buy as much as you guys buy, right? You know, if you're a little buyer, it's not as cool. I, I had actually, it's pretty funny. This this business um, kind of all happened during COVID, unfortunately. Uh -huh. You know, it, it's, uh, we grew a lot during COVID. Yeah. And so when COVID started, we were kind of nobody. Uh, and that was who I was on the streets, you know? Uh -huh. Nobody knew Grass Door. But we grew so much during COVID and I had never left my house during COVID because I have four kids and my wife doesn't let me. Um, you know, when I finally emerged after COVID and like went to an event and people had any interest in me, I was like, well, I had no idea that people even knew <laughs> I existed or what Grass Door was because the last time I left my house, uh, we, were, we were nothing. But um, yeah, it's, it is funny now and you know, Hall of Flowers, our buyers are walking around and people are trying to get their attention. So yes, it's an abrupt change. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. You're, you're the, uh, <laughs> the cool kid on the block. Uh, you don't know who your friends are now. Everyone's, everyone's nice to me right now. It's, yeah. it's, it's, no friends in the industry. It's, it's a great fan. Yeah. Uh, how about you personally? What kind of consumer are you? What, you like? Flour, concentrates, joints, bongs, I don't know. What are you into? Well, this is investing in cannabis. So for all the investors in the space. Uh, you have to I understand should... the product to invest in this business. I uh, firmly believe that. I, uh, I definitely use cannabis to medicate. Um, to me, I probably would be on Adderall or Ritalin or some sort of ADD medicine. And, um, you know, my dad was a, a cannabis, you know, advocate and okay. certainly weren't going to put me on prescription medicine. You grew up in LA. I grew yeah. up in LA uh -huh. and I have been consuming cannabis, um, you know, for, for a long time uh -huh. and it, it just balances me out. Yeah. Uh, my wife could never have imagined herself, uh, you know, marrying a guy that smokes a lot of cannabis, but she prefers me high mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm a little calmer, a little yeah. more patient, um, maybe, maybe a little more creative, a little nicer uh -huh. and, uh, and I sleep better. So yeah. uh, definitely a supporter of those are all good of, husband things for sure. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a good place to start to wrap up here, friend. This has been fun. Um, how can we help you? How can the audience help you? Are you hiring for something or? Uh, open to all opportunities. My email address is Zach at Grassdoor, Z-A-C-K at Grassdoor. Certainly love talking to people. Uh, interesting things, relationships and connections all the time. So we are trying to be an ally of the industry, trying to support the ecosystem. I think in the past, retailers might not have seen us as necessarily a friend, um, but I think all retailers can be doing a lot more delivery business. And I think Grassdoor can power that delivery business. Good stuff, man. Thanks again. It was fun. Thanks, Brandon. I really appreciate it.